ain't shit sweet about the peach. This Atlanta cr- clown, home of the dealers and the strippers and the clubs, though. Catchy cat coming out of Magic City with a catchy coming out of Magic City with a slug hoe working in the club, though. Tourist motherfuckers, welcome to Atlanta. Uh, up the Julie mother fuckers. These muggy, and then I can't say anymore because there's a bunch of words that are not my words. I just no. can't. Um, but in fact, I was kind of uncomfortable saying ho. Welcome, Mega Faithful Congregation, to this, the second reading from the Book of Mega Drive. We started from zero. That's the way we roll around here. Today's entry is Monster World 4. The radical Mega Drivers with me today are... Uh, turn loose your death rays and kill them all. I'm, I'm Shrug. Hi, it's me, Ramana, again. What up, everybody? I'm... Talpa in Monster World. And if I ruined things, hello. hello. I'm a Stavekoff, and I see you have some gold bars. Would you like to sell it to me for 500 G each? And I'm Automatic Tiger. Today, all of us are going to explore four increasingly challenging zones. Blast Zone, Fantasy Zone, The Labyrinth Zone, and The Death Egg Zone. To get this started, to get this podcast started we're gonna start off with the blast zone welcome to the blast zone this is where we talk about the gameplay mechanics given to us by the bounty of blast processing you know stuff like game feel the basic way the game is put together the game controls just how the game feels to play on on the wondrous blast processed Sega Genesis. So, to begin with, I'm going to ask everybody, how long did you play this game? I asked folks to play for an hour, but if you played longer, that is also good. How long did everyone play? I lasted for about two hours, maybe, as I say on other variations of these things. I have no sense of time. That's probably why it takes me so long to say words. I got to the volcano. There was a lot of blasting happening there, appropriately enough. I think I blasted up to three obstructions out of my way. And that's where I ended my sojourn. Uh, when did the fan translation come out? That's how long I've been playing it. Also, I finished the game. I finished two. I think it took me about seven hours. I had to save scum a lot, though. I have only blasted this game into my openings for about an hour and a half now. And I have to say, the mouthfeel is very drying and powdery. And I, depending on um, whether you're counting how long I actually played it, or how long it took me to get through a whole... or how long, including the gap in my playthrough, either... About seven hours, or about a year, since there was a very, very big gap between when I played the first half of the game 
and uh, the second half, well, not whole half, but the last little chunk of the game. So I, I'd heard about this game a, a long time ago when I first heard about it, and I was very excited because it's kind of, it was pitched as a kind of Metroidvania sort of Zelda 2 type deal, and I don't really think it works that way. What were people's first impressions when they booted up this game and started playing it? This is just a free-for-all. Why Zoroastrianism, unrelated is to the topic. Is, is there Zoroastrianism? Maybe I should have paid more attention, because then this would be the Blade of Darkness of the Sega Mega Drive. Yeah, but we can talk about that later. Um, slightly mushy, if we're going to talk about mouthfeel. Responsive, though, just a little, you know, crisp. There's kind of a bite to it, but then in the center, there's kind of, uh, uh, it's like a, it's like you open a box of chocolates and you find a cherry cordial. You know, it's like things come out. There's like a tiny bit of momentum, but not a lot. It's still precise. There's just a little bit of flushiness around the edges. What does flushiness mean? I'm not really sure, what, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. What there. does the flushiness mean? It's just a little bit, a little bit. It's kind of like you've got, kind of like you've got sponges strapped to your feet, and you're just a little bit of, a little bit it's, on the edge. It's a lot like you found an Orbit soda from the late '90s that you've never opened, <laughs> and you take a nice long sip and let the little plastic lumps slide down your throat. And then you realize that there's a reason this soda never really caught on. They call it chia seeds now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I suppose it did find its way forward eventually, but it needs to be the original Orbit's experience, and this is what this feels like. It's not that like... I would say it's not a buttery feel. Yeah, that's a pretty good way of describing it. Like, your actions are deliberate, but also slippery. Yeah, it's like not quite Castlevania deliberate, but it's but it's you know that's not a bad comparison. There's a lot of wind up and especially a lot of actually less wind up and and more just sort of a a pause after you do anything. But you but you also are yeah just kind of slip slip sliding all over the place in this. I feel like the jump slash is kind of like the perfect move for like describing the feel because like when you do it you know it comes out all snappy like and like you aim it and stuff and then you're just kind of hanging there for a second afterwards and you slide it and you slide back a bit you bounce around a lot too like you bounce off enemies bounce off their projectiles everything it occurs to me it would actually probably be good to just give an overview of how this game works monster world 4 is a side-scrolling action platformer that Often gets categorized as a Metroidvania, but it's it's much more linear. It's more like a linear series of levels, but there's a shop and a lot of like optional secrets. You can't backtrack in the levels exactly. You definitely can't revisit older levels. You just always come back to the same town area and then go to a new dungeon, basically. And it's a and it's a side-scrolling action platform game where you play a, a cool little girl with uh, I guess she's not a super little girl, but you know. Play a cool girl, she's got a sword, and uh, a cool little blue pet. And a shield. And I feel like the shield is sort of, to me mentally, is the touchstone for how she plays. Because you have to press down on the D-pad to get your shield out. So you don't move when it's out. When you guard, it's you stop and you're there. 
You're pointed in one direction. You are immobile. You are in Goliath. You're just, this is where I'm going to hang out for a while. So it's a very deliberate choice you have to make. It says something and kind of imposes a certain rhythm on it. Um, like, okay, this person, this person has this fucking projectile. And if he gets his projectile out, then I'm going to have to get my shield out or I'm going to have to jump or, you know, depending on the spacing and the timing, then, you know, you have to make everything you do has to be very methodical because if you get out of control, then because of that deliberateness of movement, but also that slight deliberateness, then you're probably just going to end up getting into a chain reaction and next thing you know you've lost all your hearts that might be just me who sucks at video games you you can switch sides with the shield i don't know but that is exactly how i felt playing this game just like every time uh, i fat fingered and accidentally changed directions and got beaten up by a very cuddly looking werewolf i just felt like i had no idea how games work and uh i feel i feel like because this game is such an awkward combination of deliberate and not deliberate at all like in terms of your control that uh it doesn't have that refreshing bite it doesn't feel like i'm taking a big crunch of floor cheese the way i would in some games Anyway, uh, I didn't give my overview yet. I, I don't know about Orbit Soda, like like Twelve brought up, but I do know Orbit is also the name of a website where you can buy plane tickets, and it's very appropriate because this game took me on a journey of adventure and excitement. Yeah, you can have that one for free, Sega. It is kind of odd that is uh, that it's it sort of builds itself as an exploration game, but a lot of the areas kind of feel disconnected from each other, which isn't that big. I don't know what I'm going on here. I'm oh, I mean, it's bouncy, like how you play the game, where you just kind of flip off everything after you try and attack it. Like, uh, the areas are disconnected, but I feel like it's, it's kind of fitting because you're, you're supposed to be freeing spirits, and those always are off in remote corners of the world and fuck off nowhere. Yeah, it, it's interesting, the game, it's disconnected, although it is kind of part of the, the fiction of the game in how it's disconnected, because you're always just going through a portal and you're coming back with the aid of a genie who is seemingly only capable of transporting people to one town, which is the sort of hub town. I, I mean, that's literally all he says he's going to do. <laughs> it's an ancient, powerful artifact that has one purpose, get it, just getting you to the nearest transit hub. It's also a badge of honor that shows that you have succeeded as a warrior. But I uh, can't wait for the remake where the genie gets replaced by a horrible CGI Will Smith. <laughs> um, Actually, his first lines reminded me of a line from a Killer Mike song. So, fingers crossed for Killer Mike in his motion picture debut. Nobody else? I don't know what Killer Mike is. I'm sorry. Killer Mike's great. He's uh, half of Run the Jewels. Damn, I can't believe Monster World's telling me to join the NRA now. Well, nobody's perfect. Wait, is Killer Mike pro NRA? That's disappointing. Killer Mike had a sit down with the NRA, and it was part of the discourse for a while. I think he's currently, uh, he has acknowledged their history of uh, questionable racial politics and is more of a uh, 
uh, socialist rifle organization or association booster now, but it was a whole thing. Uh, okay, I didn't get the the second half of that. I only remember the 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 initial part, and I was like, oh no, oh no. Because I remember he was a very big proponent of uh, a lot of socialist politicians too, so no, it was very confusing that he would be like down with the NRA. I think he's just um, like I I think it's his position is basically like I mean the first people that anyone's going to disarm are poor minorities, so so long as the cops have guns, I want to have a gun. Um, yeah, yeah, guns. Guns! A thing Video this game, games. A thing this game does not have. There are no guns in this game, to my knowledge. Swords. You have a sword. But you also have some other stuff. So, yeah, we talk, yeah. talked a little bit about how it is a side-scrolling platformer. And it's got your basic stuff. You know, you, you le- run left and right. You've got a shield instead of a duck. That's kind of that's kind of fun- funky. you got a sword you can attack stuff with. Um, the sword can be... You can either... You can... Aim your sword up or down during a jump either direction, and that's kind of fun, and that's kind of weird, and that leads to some interesting stuff. But you only have one jump, unlike a lot of games from this era, which were introducing all kinds of funky jumping. But you can get extra height thanks to the centerpiece and the most interesting overall thing about this game to me, which is this little blue dude called a Pepe Logu. I do want to... Uh... At, chime in with uh, Funky Jumping would be the, a really good name for some mediocre indie platformer. <laughs> I thought you were going to propose that as a term for just adding different jumps to games. Are, are you sure that's not a Smash Brothers term? <laughs> uh, funky Jumper, new from the makers of Yik. <laughs> no, it would definitely not be a Yik style thing. It would have to be, it would be like Fez two funky jumping. What's what's gonna get plagiarized in this one? Yeah, which which Murakami novel? I think I think it's gonna be Hard Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World. That's what I think they're gonna take a quote from. No, Hard Boiled Wonderland is too good of a Murakami novel for Yik. Uh, it would probably be like Spotnik Sweetheart or something, something really creepy towards women. I read that guy's explanation of why that was in there, and I thought. You know, I think that's sort of stupid, but I buy it, basically. Like, I think he might have done that intentionally. And then, so it's like a sample. And then people started posting the Wikipedia. People started posting the, like, well, there are people that speak in quotes from Wikipedia. And I'm like, oh, people are speaking in quotes from Wikipedia. Well, yeah, okay. Nah, huh, huh. Another stuff, but it was mostly just screen grabs where they were speaking in quotes, literally from Wikipedia. You know what I also buy? Uh, The cool thing this game does to make you really attached to an adorable little little Digimon thing in this game called the Peppa Logu. Which is? It's it's a bird cat you get and you can step on it while it burns its burns itself alive for you. Yeah, it an incredibly loyal blue super ball with wings. It will use its little tongue to push buttons for you, which is kind of unnerving. You can use it to glide, uh, as if on a little tiny blue hang glider. 
everybody in the town is jealous of your blue bird, except for the one lady that says it's a like portent of the end of the world, which is great. Most of these things are yellow. Twitter is a portent of the end of the world. That's true. <laughs> I wish we could change like the Twitter icon on like some website to a Peppa logo. No, no, the Peppa logo. It's too. It's too sweet. It's too sweet. So. What's cool about this thing is you start the game and you play for a while and you don't have one. And then you get an egg and you hatch the egg in a magic fountain, which is what everybody does when they get a pet. You hatch your pet egg in a magic fountain and then you get this little guy and he's got one set of moves. You can pick him up and you can kind of glide with him and do a kind of double jump with that. And it's real neat. But every time you finish a world, um, you can give him a fruit and he gets a little bigger and he gets a different moveset, and the next area is built around utilizing the moveset of this little blue dude. Well, for the most part, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's just screw spoilers, because that's kind of an interesting thing. There is a... I'd like to talk a little bit more about what they're doing narratively there in fantasy, but there is a point where you, you lose it, and you have to play through like the last section of the game without it and you really really feel that hard mechanically yeah and especially since they introduced the conveyor belt mechanic and so you really have to be precise with your jumps you don't really get to practice that much so yeah it it sucks when you're used to being able to correct your jumps really easily with uh, your buddy there also he gets really fat he he gets to be this adorably fat fat bird dude with you. I, I really like the Papaloku. There's also the way, you know, a lot of games you get a new jumping or gliding mechanic or whatever, and it's something you can just whip out whenever. Uh, with the Papaloku, you have to use the A button to, it's always kind of hanging around, and then you use the A button to draw it towards you from wherever it's floating, and it takes a minute. It's basically like charging. Uh, mechanically, effectively, and then once you have it, if you attack, then you lose it. If you guard, you lose it. And if you use it as, like, a double jump, then you lose it, and then you have to draw it back to you again anytime you do that. So you sort of have to, again, very deliberately stage your uses of this particular tool in a way that inflects things Kind of interestingly, or at least unusually, uh, I thought. Ramona, did you have any cool thoughts about our old blue buddy? Uh, yeah, the little guy is adorable, and he gets fucking huge, and is still adorable, and is extremely useful throughout the game, uh, mechanically as well, so it's not just, like, this aesthetic, yeah, like, this little dude following you around, you can, you can use him, and, uh, it's cool. He's a good, he's a cool guy. I love how you can like make him fly to you by pressing a button, and you do a little whistle, and then he flaps over to you. And he's fat. Both of these things are true. What are what are the dungeons like in this game? I mean, we talked a little bit about how the abilities you have to navigate these dungeons. It's a pretty small tool set, especially for a game kind of setting itself up as kind of a Metroidvania or action RPG type deal, which it isn't really, but it's kind of presenting itself like that. 
but there's a lot of interesting stuff in the environment. So, like, what kind of stuff do you encounter with, with these moves you've got? Well, one thing I'm noticing, at least about the first dungeon, again, I've not played very much of this game, so I don't have a lot to go uh, talk about, but one thing I have noticed is that this game clearly shares some thinking with uh, Hexen, because uh, you progress through the dungeon by doing arbitrary acts that seem to unlock things uh, with no like causal connection between them. Like, killing a wolf opens up a door or something. Yeah, they um, expand on that, because like, each dungeon has its own unique lock and key type thing. Like you said, the first one is just a vague, you kill stuff, and it's like a Zelda 1 dungeon. You go to the next place after killing everything in the room. In the second dungeon, you find bombs to blow up uh, rock, like block doors, so you have to explore around a little bit. And then in the uh, third dungeon, it's, uh, it's a lot. It's like pyramids and curses and stuff. Yeah, there's passwords. You've got to learn passwords and oh. solve riddles. Oh, that's the fourth dungeon. My oh, that's mistake. the fourth one. Yeah, the third dungeon, you just have the bucket and the fire. So you have to, like, put up flames that somehow activate electric switches. And then uh, you, you eventually get a bucket that you fill with water to put out campfires that you can't get past otherwise. Like, all the other fire gets put out by your by your blue bud. And, but uh, you, you gotta actually go out and explore and, like, keep doing the same loops over and over. Well, the first dungeon is, like, explicitly some sort of coming of age ritual that you're going through in order to prove your mettle as a warrior so of course you have to kill a bunch of things to arbitrarily open doors and generate platforms gosh but i don't want to be a warrior i want to be a pacifist friend of the orcs i'm sorry but in monster world 4 monsters are coming you have to kill the monsters because they're monsters and the monster, monster, not monster friend. Don't worry. Just because it's their world doesn't mean it's their world. So I'm an agent of colonialism in this game. Exactly. Listen, you just don't understand. You know, if you really, you should just try maybe debating them in the marketplace of ideas. You know, you ever think of that? <laughs> hey, I'm the one who's genociding them, not the other way around. It's extremely fucked up right before the last level when you get all your videos demonetized and the only recourse you have left to you is to strap on your flaming sword and do a bunch of murders. They, 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 look, when you deplatform me. <laughs> that, Speaking of the I'm word sorry, platform. I'm sorry I got too into character there. It's okay, Shrug. We'll only half cancel you for that. And and to add in, because, like, the part of this game that is freshest in my mind is the end of it, because of the weird way I play this game, uh, the last dungeon, sort of, I mean, there's a sort of mini dungeon at the very end of the game that's just sort of an enemy rush. The last one, the gimmick for advancing is switches, and all of the and that doesn't sound that exciting, but unlike uh, the previous dungeons where switches were opened by having your little cute blue friend like, sit on the switches for you, is when you don't have your blue friend anymore, so it's all about finding a switch and then running through a gantlet of flying, spinning death and getting through the passageways that open up when you hit the switches. 
which was both infuriating and also really enjoyable for me, and I don't know how I feel about that. Sometimes enemy rushes can be great. I do like the like the skeleton fencers that churn up almost not at all in the last level, but just a couple up, up front. That's more aesthetically. I hated fighting them. Like, this is a game that's very conflicting for me, because, like, there's a part of me that really, really loves a lot of it, and then there's another part of me where I remember where I was just screaming profanity at, at the TV during during other parts of it. And I think a really big factor in that is each of the segments is often very, very fun, but each of the segments is also like 10 to 20 minutes of gameplay with absolutely no checkpointing and virtually no health replenishing over the course of it. Yeah, this game gets really hard uh, later on. It starts off very simple, but by the end, it becomes uh, difficult, but not in like the good way. Like very annoying, obnoxious, badly designed kind of way. Yeah, because like for the first half of the game, usually when you find the like mid-level checkpoint save that you go to, a lot of the time you find a heart vending machine. Because in this Arabian Nights inspired medievalish fantasy world, there's a lot of vending machines you can pay money to use that give you hearts. Um, and, and they'll often put them near safe points for the first half of the game. And for the last two dungeons, it just, that is not the case, <laughs> especially for, uh, the flying Island. I don't understand. Why don't you just use the rewind function that's built into your, uh, Genesis or mega drive console? As has been established, I, I have an earlier model that does not have the rewind function. My rewind function broke, so... Oh, those, they are notoriously fragile. That's, that's fucked up. I'm sorry. That's what happens when you get retro bit to make your, your parts for you. Yeah, I'm still really salty about my Saturn D-pad breaking. Give me a new one. I'm salty about my cool skel- my actual cool skeleton Saturn controller breaking for no reason I can tell. I would, I'm a cool skeleton. You're a very cool skeleton, Stavekov. Uh, did we talk about the four, the pyramid dungeon yet? A little bit. If you want to go more in depth on that, I would love to hear about the pyramid dungeon. Cause I kind of went on the, we're going anachronistic here. We're just doing it. Pyramid All right. dungeon. Pyramid dungeon was like probably my second favorite dungeon, but also my least favorite dungeon at the same time. Cause it's actually three dungeons. The other ones all kind of seem to be split into halves. Like, you do one half, fight a mini-boss, and then, uh, you know, do the other half, fight the other boss, whatever. But in the pyramid, you have to do these two trials first. And in the first trial, you have to guess uh, magic spells, which are done by, you know, the you know your face buttons. And it turns them into hieroglyphics, and it pretty much tells you one of them, has you figure out one part. And then the last two, you just, you get one hint saying, oh, there's four of this letter in it. And then you, you got to figure it out from there. So there was a lot of safe scumming there. Though I actually had fun with it. I don't know why. Some people have this thing called the mist gene. And it's, it's uh, not everybody has the mist gene. It's like who, people who like the taste of cilantro is a gene. And if you have the mist gene, uh, you really, really, really like figuring out symbols in mysterious giant constructs with mechanical stuff. Well, for for me, it was mostly loading the sa- uh, saving 
you know, when I inputted a letter and then loading it if I got hit by arrows, but I, yeah, sure. The, the second part of that dungeon though, uh, cause like each, each of the three parts had, you, you would go through and find these statues and each statue, like each statue puzzle would be arranged differently. Like the first statue puzzle, they'll give you like some hints and be like, yeah, put it in this order. And then the third one's also like that, but it, it messes up, it, it like messes with you by saying like one of the things giving you hints is lying, which was pretty interesting. But the best one was the second one because you had to kind of play Shiratori with the statues. And like, I mean, I know it, it so pretty much like you'd start with one and then the last letter of that one, you'd have to put the statue that starts with that. So, and so, so like you get like five of them, like a witch, uh, a swallow, a leopard, a desert turtle, and a horned owl. So you kind of have to remember that it's not just an owl, it's specifically a horned owl, which I thought was, it was really fun to do. Yeah, I, I didn't like this dungeon. See, I was, uh, I'm the kind of person who was born with bad genetics and did not have the misgene. I'm actually a dumb bitch who plays too much Quake. If Roberta Williams ever met me, she would want to measure my skull with a set of calipers. Oh, that's a different one. That's a, that liking King's Quest is a different gene than liking Mist. It's all very complicated to me. I need to I need to have it dumbed down. Unless it's like Dark Souls, in which case I can figure it out immediately. No, I'm just seriously wondering what classic eighties and nineties game developers are most likely to be phrenologists. John Carmack. John Carmack, John Carmack. definitely. Derek Smart. Derek, Derek Smart. Smart. Yeah, Derek Smart. Richard Garriott. Oh, definitely Richard Garriott. He had he definitely had actual human skulls in a like behind a secret bookshelf door in his castle. And he left them bet, there when he moved. I bet Richard Garriott like still still is believes in medieval humors. Jonathan Blow has one skull. He keeps <laughs> trying to figure out how to best display it in his office. I feel like so Cliff people BB will has... take it the right way. Jonathan Blow spends most of his time with the skull trying to figure out if he can determine the gender of the skull's original owner. And uh, Jonathan Blow has decided, I mean, as we all know, Jonathan Blow believes that women don't understand technology. So uh, this is the reason he wants to solve the phrenological mystery of gender. Jonathan Blow's skull sits on his coffee table. And if you point out hey, you have a skull on the table. He'll say, no, you fool, you fucking moron. It's actually an analogy for the nuclear bomb, idiot. And it's his own skull. His head's just held together with scaffolding. And mazes. The scaffolding is the maze. And misogyny. And then I sit down at the coffee table and I ask him to pour me a cup of going back in time potion. Apparently it's unlimited. Going back in time to talking about this game. What game? Monster World 4. Oh, Modern there... Warfare 4, exactly. Don't you mean Modern Warfare? Well, there's a 4 at the end of it, so I can't wait to talk about why that 4 is funny later. One, two, three. Hit it. Yes. Um, okay, so... This is actually kind of the tricky thing about it. I like this game, and I like the moment-to-moment -moment play, but it but when you break it down, it's kind of really, really simple. Simple is fine. doesn't really mean it's bad. 
I think the only point where it kind of gets bad is like the second half of the last dungeon where the conveyor belts definitely overstay their welcome. Oh god, the conveyor belts. We could go in depth in that, but like if if you've played like two platform games, you've played a game with a conveyor belt. There are conveyor belts, and this is a game that is in the school of game design that says for the last bit of the game, you need to go through a lot of conveyor belts and those conveyor belts they be a moving and then it mixes that with everyone's favorite element the timed switch puzzle so you've got time switch puzzles and conveyor belts and instant death traps and your basic jump only yeah you don't have the papalogu for that part i i feel like there's something i'm forgetting about here like you can buy equipment power-ups that heal you you can get gold bars that you can sell for money by haggling with a lady that's cool i like haggling with the lady you can get more hearts you can get blue hearts with pickups you can get 10 little teardrop shaped pickups in the environment or in chests and they fucking get 10 of them and you get another blue heart and your red hearts come from uh, how powerful your armor is, I think. I think. Yeah. And each of the armors and weapons and shields has different, like, elemental weaknesses and resistances, although it doesn't list those in the translation of the game I played, so you gotta look up all of those to actually know what any of the weapons do. <laughs> oh, really? Shit. Yeah, like, there's whole element- there's, like, all of these elemental things going on, and, like, there's physical attack and magic attack, and those work di slightly differently and affect stuff differently, and it's not super deep. There's usually a correct answer for each stage of the game for what the best weapon is. It it's not stated in the game what most of it means, and there's, like, I can't remember quite how it works off the top of my head, but, like, if you pay attention- very carefully it's very easy to miss sometimes your armor instead of just providing more hearts will take a hit for you your character will like flash with a little sphere of energy and it'll, it'll just eat a blow instead of eating a heart and oh, it's I, I thought that was the shield doing that because i noticed it only worked for like certain elemental attacks at the time yeah armor has that too um and uh, what the armor does is different depending on what, what armor it is. But that's only listed in a uh, FAQ I read online. And I don't know where that if that's different in the Japanese version uh, or what, but that's my experience with it anyway. If you hit, I'm not using, I don't know what my buttons are mapped to exactly on this uh hoary fight pad thing that I'm using. Um, but when you push one of the buttons on the inventory screen, um, it would list the elemental vibrations and affiliations of the shields at least. Which is really good before you buy them. Yeah, it's perfect. So it's good that only after you buy whatever it was, you know what it could do. Uh, I believe it does say something in the shop too. I got the Thunder Shield. It said something about resistance to Thunder Magic. And then I actually went into the uh, Earth thing and 
got into the volcano and volcano and went, Oh yeah. One of the fucking villagers said that I was going to go to a volcano. I'm an idiot. <laughs> and I went back to my save and, um, got the fire shield. The generous two save files this game gives you. I like the visuals of the save files. Those little water bottles that you unstop. I think that that sounds like fantasy. I I really feel like I'm forgetting something, but almost everything about this game is just pleasant and unpleasant arrangements of, of very basic platforming elements. And a lot of what makes this game good for me is the aesthetics because there's not that much going on here when you really slice it down uh maybe you're forgetting the downstab that bounces you off of stuff okay yeah the downstab is pretty neat but very very hard to use it made me think of uh ducktales and i kind of wish that i could just bounce off of the floor with the downstab many enemies you can also bounce off of as if you are a mario except you don't damage them as if you were a Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, that's the weird thing. You can jump on enemies. It doesn't hurt the enemies. You don't get hurt either, except sometimes you do. It, it is the weirdest thing, and I do not know how you can tell before hitting it that that's what's going to happen. I always kind of just had my sword out just in case. Yeah, that was the thing. It's like, the only way to be safe is to drop uh, drop on the enemies the sword. It doesn't really change how you bounce off them. Worst case scenario, you you didn't need to do that. Best case scenario, that's exactly what you needed to do. Yeah, and that aforementioned uh, pyramid, there's this one type of enemy. It was like based off of the eagle-headed Egyptian god. I kept thinking Horus, but I think it's Ra, or are they the same person? I forget. Um, They... I could go into that, but I'm not sure if that's relevant. <laughs> uh, the anime calls him Magician's Red. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyway, Abdul's stand uh, has a shield, and it leaves very, very little opening. So with those, I would just kind of bounce on them, and they'd hold the shield up because they're really good at tracking you. So I would just bounce over them and skip them, except for in one specific instance where you couldn't do that, and it was the most frustrating thing ever. The last area of the game is this underground passage where you go through this underground passage and just encounter everything that wasn't a main boss in the game. You encounter, like, every sub-boss. You encounter every basic enemy type, and you have to fight all of them, or you can run past them. Yeah, that's just what the very, very final area is. It's just a big ol' boss. A big ol' enemy rush, where you don't even need to do the whole rush. You don't get to fight my wife, the centipede lady, though, again. Also, that harpy was awful without uh, pop platforms. Oh god, the harpy, yeah. Well, I, I managed to avoid all the harpy's attacks. It just took forever, since it was so hard to get in the position for her. Bosses, bosses. What what were the bosses like, folks? Uh, they ranged from fine to I hated them. I think is probably the best description I can come up with for them. I fought two bosses. They were both fairly sedate. I think I took one hit. I fought one boss and I did not get hit. Really, I feel mechanically this game is a real uh, curate's pack of a goo egg. 
the harpy was the worst, followed by the flame wizard, and everyone else was just pretty, like, brain brainless to deal with. I like the slime boss, but I also but the reason I like this one slime boss is kind of the aesthetics of the slime boss, and I think that's probably more of a fantasy thing. I think we should move on to fantasy, because I think a lot of even what makes some of the gameplay conceits of it moderately more interesting than some platformers is the aesthetics of the thing here. So I guess now we're entering the fantasy zone. Fantasy Zone. Fantasy Zone. Get ready. Make sure to buy the twin bombs when you get to the shop. Something something dinosaur land is on fire? I have never played Fantasy Zone. Here we are, in the Fantasy Zone. Just dodge those uh, things that definitely aren't Xeon mobile suits just flying over there. Here, we talk about the fantasy of the game. We talk about its narrative. We talk about its world. We talk about its aesthetics. We talk about what it sounds like. We talk about the animation. The the things that get us into the pahantasy of the world. What did, what were people's, like, initial impressions of just how this game looks? Like, just, how, how'd you feel about looking at it? When you open a chest, there's a very lengthy butt wiggle animation. And I thought it was maybe a little longer than necessary. And maybe they needed to rein that animator in a tiny bit. I mean, it's not too salacious. It's not like a highly sensual and horny sprite in the first place. But that is a very, very long action-breaking butt-wiggle animation. It just, it isn't just used on our heroine, though. It is also used in other places, such as a cook that is working in the palace. So at least they got some more use out of those rights. I thought that animation was like really adorable the first time I saw it. Yeah, I think the butt-wiggle animation is probably the best little animation in this game, a game that is full of very charming little animations. This is a game that had a lot of attention paid to how everything looked, perhaps at the expense of how it felt. Everything in this game just looks wonderful, and, uh, you know, I don't think it's a very salacious butt wiggle at all. I think it's mostly meant to convey the personality of the character. Yeah, I I agree with uh, how good this game looks. It's very uh, bright and, and colorful, and it, it's all very cute. Uh, very indicative of like the end of the Mega Drive's life, which I think this was towards towards that era. This was like '94, I think, and like '90, yeah, '96 would have been like the the end end. Um, but yeah, this would have been in that era by the time like companies like Sega uh, would have figured out what you could do with the system. And then just push it to the max graphically. And this is definitely a, a very, very good example of it. The TLDR, uh, this game is, looks amazing and sounds pretty good too. I mean, except that the music is basically the same tune the entire game. Yeah, if that's not something you're into, then you're really going to hate how the music sounds. But I can kind of give it a pass just because the main theme that everything is like a remix of is still pretty catchy. Uh, I think the Genie's remix of the music theme was my personal favorite. 
because it kind of sold him being this like out of shape scumbag kind of thing. Speaking of uh, the genie, he's an out of shape scumbag kind of thing with a mushroom for a hat. Yeah, the genie is kind of kind of there, and I like that the music kind of sounds a little bit like my impression of it is it sounds drunk when the genie's playing the music. Uh, his the genie's first lines. The genie is very charming looking. He is bam, baba, bam, ba, baba, baba, bam, which is like in uh, Killer Mike's Big Beast, wada dang, wadada dada dang. So as you can see, Killer Mike should play the genie in the remake. Wait, that's a, probably a reference to Killer Mike. Is it actually? I don't know. I mean, if it's the same cadence uh, Killer- and rhythm. Killer Mike came after. Maybe Killer Mike was referencing Monster World 4. Not this translation, though. This is the Sega translation. This is from... God damn it. 2006. Well... Or somewhere when around... When did rap R.A.P. music come out? I think the... I think the mid-70s. No. It's a, it's a reference to Killer Mike's original group. Before he was part of Run the Jewels, he was part of run the gems gems spelled in all capital letters that's a deep cut for all you sega <laughs> fans out there I, i'll tell you more about it in a future episode rap music came out in 2012 so that yeah. means that killer mike was definitely a big sega fan loved sega and it's bada dang bada yada dang listen to my kimber 45 go bang which is obviously a the song is all about being, uh, it starts with, uh, hardcore G shit, homie, don't play around. Ain't shit sweet about the peach, this Atlanta cr- clown, home of the dealers and the strippers and the clubs, though, catchy cat coming out of Magic City with a catchy coming out of Magic City with a slug hoe, working in the club, though, tourist motherfuckers, welcome to Atlanta. Uh, up to Julie Mother. Fuckers. These muggy, and then I can't say anymore because there's a bunch of words that are not my words, and I just no. can't. Um, but in fact, I was kind of uncomfortable saying "ho." But uh, I'm sorry. Um, Magic City, famous strip club in Atlanta, but there's also a Magic City in this thing. But also, the whole <laughs> song is about rap braggadocio. It's about how incredibly uh, hardcore and, you know, uh, what a thug he and the various uh, uh, fucking guest rappers are. T.I. is on it, which is funny, considering the direction that yeah, T.I.'s yeah. career is going in yes, yes, sure. uh, eventually. Uh, but see, uh, the, but the, I don't have screenshots of the rest of it, but the so, genie says so this little blah, 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 bam, blah, blah, blah thing. But I'm going somewhere. He says all of this and then... He says, you have me, you have my lamp, and now you can say, you have my lamp, and it is a token of your prowess as a warrior, much how, much like how the song Big Beast and the uh, line about listening to Killer Mike's uh, Kimber 45 uh, going bang is a testament to his prowess as a gangster. So it could easily be a reference back to this moment in the video game Monster World 4, when our green-haired heroine, having slayed lots of uh, monsters in the Tower of Silence, uh, achieves her uh, the evidence of her warrior prowess, Killer Mike is saying, calling back to that moment and saying, look at my, the evidence of my 
warrior prowess, which is my 45 automatic going off, probably within city limits because I don't care about the cops, etc. Speaking of, of uh, city limits, I do like the nice, quaint little town you can be in and all the little hidden nooks and crannies that are, are very carefully kept from view in it. And just finding the little the little areas as you explore this cute little town. I was very excited when I got behind the town. There's a fucking chest back there. It's in that oh, kind of big building. I didn't know what to fucking do. Then I got behind the town. To, to describe a little bit of how this game's plot plays out, you play a girl who wants to leave home, and you start the game in her hometown, and then you go to a tower, and then you beat the tower and you get a genie, and he's like, hey, you want to prove you're cool and shit, uh, you can go to this town, the the, cent- the central town of Rapanga? Rapanaga? I can't remember what it's called now, but the te- this cool town, and then you, um find a lot of stuff like you find out that uh yellow pepalogus are real real popular here and your blue one is unusual you also find these weird wizard guys who are clearly evil lurking around the town and clearly up to something sinister and you meet a queen who's like i'll make you a knight if you find four magic fairies and that's what gets you going on your quest and it's a very simple story uh like there's not a whole lot going on in the story here but what it does have is a kind of novel presentation where it's trying to connect the story with what you're doing as a character, kind of, with the pepal- specifically through the Pepalogu. So does this story adhere to a Campbellian hero's journey, or does it not? Kind of does, although you don't go to the underworld and come back. That's your Pepalogu who does that. So maybe the Pepalogu is the actual protagonist, because he never rejects the call to adventure. In fact, you very enthusiastically pursue it. Um, I think you guys play in a different game than I did, because uh, the first thing I did was jump off a cliff. <laughs> did she... Uh, I was just wondering if she, uh, if she returns to her home at the end of the story changed. Uh, she does. Oh, okay. And she does go to the underworld and back, because the final enemy rush area is under the castle. And they didn't know it's literally called Underground Fort. Ha <laughs> ha. Also, the um, this is the Zoroastrian connection. Obviously, they're going for the like uh, pseudo Arabian deal, which includes pulling in pseudo Persian, which means whatever. We'll just grab something from fucking Zoroastrianism. So, it, it probably whatever we have a tower, we'll call it a Tower of Silence. They call it the Tower of Silence. Tower of Silence is where uh, Zoroastrians, there's still like one of them that remains in the entire fucking world because they're an extreme minority religion. Uh, it is a circular tower upon at the top of which uh, Zoroastrians place their dead so that they can be uh, baked by the sun and fed upon by carrion birds because uh, a putrefying body cannot touch the ground. And there are fucking mummies in it. So there's some reference to its uh, origins as a place for the burial or interment of the dead. You are essentially entering into an underworld the second you leave your town. Or uh, a few seconds after you leave your town, there's a buffer area. There, I saved it. But you never actually reject the call to adventure. Even jumping off a cliff is accepting a call to adventure, but perhaps in the wrong direction. Literally the wrong direction. 
Also, I'm glad um, Shrug clarified that Zoroastrians were a religion because this whole time I was sitting here thinking you were talking about a Pokemon. <laughs> um, you you. Can't... I, I wasn't I wasn't joking when I when I said I was an idiot. So Zarathustra is my favorite Pokemon. Okay, now I'm canceled for trivializing a real world's a historical figure and a religion. You can reject the Galter adventure. It is an option. You still have to do it, though. So, like, you don't have a choice, but you can reject it. I don't count but thou musts as rejections of Call to Adventure. Well, they don't but thou must. They just goes along like you didn't say anything. Yeah, the the uh, the queen is just like the queen is just like oh, that's disappointing. And there's like it lacks the triumphant music cue. Speaking of of the queen and all that, I. I like how the castle has like kitchen staff you can talk to and also that room of bodybuilders. Lord knows if I were a queen I would have a room full of bodybuilders. And I, I never know what the bodybuilders are for. Like they're just there they're, hanging out. They're training to fight monsters, obviously. Uh the royal eye candy. The monsters have been multiplying of late. <laughs> herg, herg. Yeah, one of them's doing making ya noises while he pokes with a padded spear. A training spe- a boffer spear. They're training with boffers. They're SCA members. To clarify, those grunts were text from the game. This time. If you go at the end of the game, there's a treasure chest with a bunch of life drops in it, I believe. Either life drops or a healing medicine. That's their only purpose. The queen is bored. You two come into the throne room and recreate that scene from Lords of the Locker Room. <laughs> There's a lot of really strong imagery, uh, natal imagery, phallic imagery, that do point to a sort of monomythic Campbellian uh, milieu for the entire thing. Uh, you get to the town, and there are all these soaring phallic pillars that surround the ovum of uh, the fountains, the fountains where uh, these pillars are also next to the... Uh, altar where you place the egg that you hatch. And an egg um, appears again. A bigger egg appears at the in, near the end of the game. See? Uh, all this fertility imagery. Uh, you're <laughs> going from place to place. Uh, I forgot what's actually going on with the spirits. It doesn't matter. The point is you uh, as the uh, hero, the active hero, are uh, joining the sun and the moon Yes, the sun and the moon, the solar phallus with the uh, lunic, uh, <laughs> lunic, yoni, yonic, lunic, yonic. That's what they call it in the field, uh, and uh, making the child of the sun and the moon. I'm forgetting the Latin again. Uh, it ruins it, but oh well. Uh, you are becoming their child, and in doing so, bringing a uh, rebirth to the land. Powerful stuff. Primal stuff. There's some kind of interesting things about how this game also just handles a narrative that's very simple, but kind of implies some stuff, too. Like, you are very explicitly the next hero in sort of a cycle of heroes, with the previous one being naturally... um wonder boy and monster world the third monster the no the second monster world game i'm going to get into the the hilarious numbering scheme of this series in labyrinth zen and and it's just kind of weird how simple the story is because it's just hey there's evil shit going on 
But you know where the evil shit is? It's in an evil tree at the base of the, like, far under under the uh, the castle, the, the castle of the queen at the beginning of the game. And exactly what it is and what it's doing is not at all clear, besides just it's a generically evil thing at the bottom of a hole. Oh, that's the motif of the wounded land that we see in the story of the Fisher King. Uh, <laughs> uh, tri- trivia that bo- the final boss's name is Fear Incarnate. And uh, um, it's a pink crab thing with two hands, tentacle, I don't know. To go a little bit about the story, we're just as scattershot as this is too. Um at one point in the game, your Papalogu is killed by the queen who's been possessed by bad shit because all of the yellow Papalogos turn into evil monster Papalogus, and they all like start mind controlling everyone and driving everyone to despair. And you don't have a Papalogu, and it's really, I felt found it really cool how the game is trying to make you feel the loss of your little buddy by giving you the the difficult platforming segments without him. And then naturally, of course, as you've probably guessed, uh, he comes back. He is reborn out of the giant egg in the fountain, and he comes to your rescue and sings a song and heals the world partially, but then you still got to beat Fear Incarnate with a sword. And he helps you with that too, by uh, blocking the Fear Incarnate's gaze which turns you to stone, and he sacrifices himself again to turn into stone, and so you can kill Fear Incarnate easier. It's a lot like Shadow of the Colossus that way. I can't believe Fumito Ueda stole this game's plot. Stupid jerk. Well, the thing about Shadow of the Colossus is the horse wasn't fat, so it's a way worse game because of that. Imagine that game with like a really fat, shaggy pony. Imagine how much better it would be. I'm picturing it in my head now so good that's so good what if the pony's name was bill like in lord of the rings um i have to go <laughs> let's see other aesthetic things what uh, were there ever there's so many cute enemies in this game like i love all of the enemies in this game like you fight pig guys it's kind of interesting because like the pig guys in this game are bad whereas previously there were good pig guys in one of the at least one of the earlier one of the earlier uh, Monster Boy games. Which I am not convinced that they. I'm not convinced that they are bad because uh, I think that I am just a genocidal monster in this game. I think Asha just wants to kill. That's yeah. why they call it Monster World. Yes. She, she she doesn't want to be an adventurer. She wants to be a, a warrior specifically. She wants to be a war fighter. She's got her warfighter knife all ready to go at the start of the game. It's her father gave it to him. She's taking on the mantle of his most toxic masculine features, uh, fighting his her way through a tower, hello, uh, killing all these monsters, bathing in their blood, being baptized into a new life that's defined by violence. It's kind of interesting that this is one way that the two translations are different because in the original fan translation, I think they do use the term adventurer and knight more than warrior. So I guess the, the official Sega translation is a little less, is a little more unvarnished revealing the, the subtext of the game. 
I, I will say, though, unlike some games, the monsters in this game are explicitly said to be emanations from cosmic evil that are manifesting all over the world as opposed to the inhabitants of these places. I feel like those pigs were just dizzy, you know? They just never got a chance to <laughs> not. They probably had really bad headaches. They were striking out at anyone who came near them with a sword out because it was the only life they knew. That's all. I liked it when Pepelagoo was like at its second most fattest thing you tried to when you would call it instead of you being able to hold it normally it was crushing you under its weight <laughs> yeah that's one of the many 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 adorable animations of this game uh does anyone have like a favorite enemy or mid boss or or boss design in this game the first boss like the first actual boss not the mini boss of is probably my favorite boss design looks wise just because it's always cool to see weird things with just the lady sticking out of it i don't know that's like a monster design thing i like what does she she look like like in more detail because she's a lady and she's got some other other junk she's that for her lower half like what what does that look like it's pretty much like a centipede kind of deal that's what i remember and she's just got a veil on and a big scimitar and she's just swinging her body at you being a half centipede, half lady. Uh, yeah, so that's what, that was the best boss, aesthetics-wise. As for, like, regular enemies, <sighs> the old people. The old people? Yeah, in the uh, ice pyramid level, you fight some old people that just carry around two swords. And when, you see, and when they see you, they just go ballistic. Oh, yeah, those, like, I kind of interpret those as, like, kind of, a uh, kind of, like, trolls. Like, some kind of, uh like a kind of Nordic troll monster or something for some reason. That's ageist. <laughs> like, I love a lot of the, the monster designs. I'm always a sucker for, like, little monster mushrooms, and this game has some little monster mushrooms. Uh, although, there's one little sequence in the game I thought was really, really cute, where you go into a room and you find all these, like, villager people who are tiny? And they can't talk to you. And then you go through a little portal and then you become tiny and you can talk to them. And they're like, oh no, we're, we're all tiny and we can't get untiny again. And so you have to fight a boss for a while, which you can't hurt. Oh wait, but you get to fight some mice because the mice are just these tiny little mice and they drop hearts when they're small and it's just one heart. But when you fight the giant mice because you're tiny and they're mouse size, the mice can deal more damage, but the hearts they drop restore all of your heart because of this difference. Cause it's a giant heart and one giant heart heals your tiny, tiny little self. And then you have to fight a red slime for a while, which you can't damage, but you can kind of like get out of the way of another size portal walk through it, and then you get big, and you keep fighting the red slime. And it is this completely pointless little segment that barely does anything, and it is so short. But I just I just thought it was really inventive and cute. I do really dig on the pigs. They're just fun, chunky boys that make themselves very dizzy. They just like to hit me. I should have let them hit me more. <sighs> oh, well. I love that they get very dizzy. That's probably my favorite detail about them. I do kind of wonder 
about this game, it feels like a game that was made in the order you play it in sometimes, because while the whole game is really, like, aesthetically pretty, the first couple dungeons are so much prettier than the back half of the game, and the enemies have so many more details, especially, like, the pigs in the first dungeon compared to some of the later stuff you fight. Although the fencing skeletons are pretty good. The fencing skeletons are pretty good. The fucking wolves that do the thousand hand slap are pretty sweet. Simple, but who would have thought a wolf that just won't stop fucking punching you? Ramona, any enemies you liked? Honestly, I've been straining to think of one that's like really stuck out to me. I couldn't really think of any that really looked bad, but there were maybe like the the pig guys with the clubs in like the first like area. I like those guys. Otherwise, it kind of blended together for me. It's a little weird, but that's how it works for me. Well, the writing is kind of slight. I do like the tiny little details, like uh, we can run into the townsfolk and they'll talk to you about how their situation is progressing as the world gets shittier and shittier because evil is on the rise or whatever. And uh, I do like the lady who has three pepilogus, which she like treats like pampered dogs, like show dogs, and she buys gold bars from you. Every time you talk to her, there's a different sequence of yes-nos when you talk to her. Like when she said, I want to buy that from you, do you want to sell it? Saying yes or no to that, um, well, she'll haggle and give you more money sometimes. Uh, and it's it's a little different every time, and she gives you more money every, t- every time with every stage of the game. And I don't know, I, I like that, and I thought that was a cute detail. Uh, I gotta say the uh, area design, like the layers of parallax, how everything would look, was really good. I think my personal favorite area was the one before the uh, the water dungeon. It was just this nice forest, you know, just also over a lake or something. It was just very pretty and idyllic. Yeah, like every screenshot of the game is from that area and it looks so good. Just so gorgeous. Like, really a showpiece for the Sega Genesis. Early in the game, in the woods, there's this... Uh, in an otherwise, they use parallax for only uh, fog. It's kind of low in the background, which I thought was very evocative. I liked it a lot. Very exciting. Any last aesthetic thoughts anyone's got? Um, pretty much... Everything they do with Asha herself was just, like, adorable to the nth degree. Yeah, she is so cute. She is so From, cute. Yeah, like, not only the butt wiggle, but, like, how she presses buttons in the volcano where she kind of just smacks them. And then just all of the, like, unique animations, like, the hurt the hurt ones, like, in the last dungeon with all the spikes, how she grabs her foot. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was great. The attention paid to her ponytail. Uh, did we ever at any point uh, make mention that Asha is an Arab woman? I feel that's something important to mention for this game because there aren't too many games out there where, where that's the prota- where that the protagonist fits into that kind of category. Yeah, I guess it's true. I think my mind doesn't necessarily go there, even though that is 
true because like i think of this as very much like a very cartoony like arabian nights is the word i use because it is very much i guess it's japanese so i can't really say a western conception of it but it's very much a a fantastic eyes conception of it but it but yeah that is absolutely true it's a puree of uh orientalist conceptions of the broad region i mean there are some features about it that i would say put it ahead of a lot of things like you don't really see a lot of what a lot of games like this would have a big big emphasis on a kind of strong harem aesthetic if you would and this one has like a queen and the queen has some like servant girls but they're not like really sexy servant girls you know and uh it just it it is very orientalist in its in in just the general sense of aesthetics and fantasization of it it's very much just like here's an a, a pretty place that that's very cartoony and animated but like i'm not the best person to analyze about how this looks i just felt like it didn't really go with a lot of the worst traits of that since it's you know a protagonist from this region saving this region and not like you know an outsider saving it yeah it's not like uh an intensely problematic thing or anything i don't want to say that i guess i also it's just a very very service level aesthetic gloss thing but it is cool that it's you know a lady and the most significant other character she interacts with that has most of the power in the narrative is a lady uh death to all monarchs even lady monarchs though Death to all monarchs. Hire more women guards. Anyway, uh, about the Bouyadeen trilogy. Uh, I think you and I are the only people who have read and also liked that trilogy. Time to write a think piece. The thorny politics of George Alec Ethinger and how it relates to Monster World 4. I don't know what reading is, so I can't join you there. I am kind of illiterate, but I put up a good front. I want to emphasize that while nothing really stuck out to me hugely, it is very possible, being a white woman, that I did not notice anything. Like, I want to really, I want to emphasize that. I could be, I could be missing something super obvious. And of course, there's always going to be some aspect of things being problematic when you just use a culture purely aesthetically and don't really think about it a lot. I like how the cover art was like claymation. That was pretty good. Yeah, pulling a pulling a like Earthbound or a old Nintendo Power cover kind of deal, which is the only direct comparison I can think of. I guess Sega did what Nintendo did in this case. <laughs> when I was looking very recently, like within the, probably the last week or so, I was uh, Bachelor's recent streams have reminded something made something click in my head about an old shareware rpg for the mac uh actually it was the combination of bachelor's streams and seeing something else but anyway i was going through a list of old like 90s mac rpgs and i eventually found what i was looking for but i also ran into a something else i had forgotten about which was a shareware uh rpg which i remember playing the like just the shareware portion of Vaguely Ultima Style was no doubt patterned off of uh, Jeff Vogel's Exile series, which was 
you know, from the jump, a uh, conceived after uh, as a sort of homage to like Ultima Four, and it is set in a this particular game that I was reminded of, which is very visually distinctive because the it's this like bright blue background for most of the interface. It's kind of an eyesore, but you remember it. And it was uh, based, uh, Fantasia, based on the Arabian Nights. I kind of want to go back and play it just to see, like, with, you know, 20 years later, how this fucking Arabian Nights role-playing game made by a bunch of white people in the Midwest plays now. Interesting. You know what? I think this discussion could also fit into the Labyrinth Zone. So since we've experience the fantasy i think i'm gonna move us into the labyrinth zone now if no one dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you know gonna do a dance magic dance into the labyrinth zone in the labyrinth zone we talk about the history of the game like ephemera about the game stuff tangentially related to the game just the general context history and thought and, and you know just that kind of thing about the game yeah this was developed by Westone and published by sega i think we know a lot about sega what do we know about Westone? anyone got that i got a little bit what you, you gave us homework too it's extra credits I do not know what research means, so... That is a lie, Shrek. I'm canceling you for this. You clearly... No, no, I'm finally fully... I'm finally fully canceled. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That was harsh, but, like, you just went on an extended rant about how this is connected with Zoroastrianism and and very capably argued that point, Shrek. You've researched things. I'm only capable of using my research to argue bullshit. But yeah, uh, basically West Weststone is a now tragically defunct company that made the Wonder Boy series, of which this is a part of, despite not featuring a boy or being called Wonder Boy at all. More on that in a minute. They had a, a strange history, which seems to basically alternate between designing original games, especially the Wonder Boy games, and doing more licensed work. For instance, they made, as Retronauts described them, all a bunch of those EVA games on the Sega Saturn. Uh, right. So you were talking about how like this game has sort of a complicated legal shitstorm in, in the sense of, like, Westone, they own the rights to the game's code, but Sega owns the rights to the name Wonder Boy. Which has created some hilarious things over the years. So, they did Wonder Boy. That was their first, first game. Then they did Jaws for the NES. You know, that's gotta be good. But yeah, Wonder Boy is their bread and butter. Like, almost half of the games they made are Wonder Boy games. Which they later decide are the Monster World series even though they don't start using the term Monster World till partway through the series. So we begin with Wonder Boy, which is a side-scrolling platformer where you play Wonder Boy, who is a boy in a grass skirt, 
in a Polynesian-inspired island setting. It's not super notable for a lot of reasons, except it was called Adventure Island when Hudson Soft ported it. It wasn't called Adventure Island in Japan, but I don't remember the Japanese name. For the purposes of this discussion, it's Adventure Island. And that became a series by Hudson Soft, and Wonder Boy became a series that immediately turned into a fantasy RP, a side-scrolling fantasy action RPG series with Wonder Boy in Monster Land, not Monster World, Monster Land, where Wonder Boy, instead of being a dude in a grass skirt, becomes a dude, dude in a suit of armor. This goes into Wonder Boy 3, Monster Lair, which is a side-scrolling shooting game, and Wonder Boy 3, The Dragon's Trap, which is a continuation of the action RPG <laughs> mechanics of, of Monster Land with some refinements. And is also my personal favorite in the series. There was a really good remake by some French people. It's on every console. Look it up. It's great. Absolutely gorgeous graphics. You can play as a girl in that one. It changes the title screen. It, it rules. God damn it. These SJWs are getting to my Wonder Boy. Wait, is it Wonder Boy 3 or Wonder Boy the 3rd? Maybe the original Wonder Boy is just a progenitor boy uh, who created an entire, like, uh, lineage of Wonder Boys and See, Wonder Girls who are still named Wonder Boy, with boy being the surname. See, here's the thing about that. They actually make a special note once we get to um, Wonder Boy in Monster World a.k.a. Monster World 3, despite it only being the second game called Monster World, and those are only called that in Japan, um, Wonder Boy in Monster World specifically says it's a different kid. Like, it specifically says this is a different person. His name is Shion. It's not whoever Wonder Boy was in the first few games. So... I think in the first few ones, they are all supposed to be the same boy. Well, at least we know that Wonder Boy fucks. <laughs> and then we get... God damn it, those SJWs are getting <laughs> fucks in my Wonder Boy. Speaking of SJWs, that brings us to Monster World 4, which is the third game that is called Monster World. The second game to be called Monster World in the United States. And um, overall, I think the like, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It is a, it is depending on how you count the two Wonder Boy threes, the seventh game in the series. So that four comes from fucking nowhere. <laughs> like it isn't even the four, like I'm like, it isn't even the fourth game just switch to the fantasy aesthetic as opposed to the, the Pacific Island aesthetic. Like, it is just this random name. Hmm. Maybe Monster World 4 suggests that it is the fourth Kalpa of the Monster World, that it has existed for four ages now. And uh, if we're going to riff on the Orientalist traditions that exist in the series then uh, naturally we would fit in some uh, old-school Buddhism and suggest that uh, uh, time is measured in Kalpas, and uh, Monster World clearly has had multiple ones, given that the architecture, art, and uh, aesthetics of the world 
uh, change between the game entries. That seems plausible, especially because we know for sure the previous Monster World games, like in all of them, that the previous games took place due to references in the games themselves. Sometimes it's very simple, like how the second Wonder Boy 3 directly continues from the ending of Wonder Boy in Monsterland. Um, and sometimes it's vague references to the events of Wonder Boy 3 in Wonder Boy in Monster World. And uh, in Monster World 4, it very explicitly references the events of Wonder Boy in Monster World. Or maybe it could also be the uh, fact that there are four elemental spirits, four being a very important number in this game. Ah, but there are four, those four elemental spirits were in Wonder Boy and Monster World. Hmm. Well, I've got nothing then. I would also like to continue this series because that's just the Wonder Boy games because here's where stuff gets really fucked up. The Wonder Boy games were not always released as Wonder Boy and most of them were re-released as other things. So in the case of Wonder Boy 3, the Dragon's Trap, see, generally, if it got ported to another console, they'd have to change the character because Sega owns the term Wonder Boy, right? So there's a couple notable ones. For example, the PC Engine and... I think it did get a Turbo Graphics release uh, of uh, Monster Wo- of Wonder Boy and Monster World. It's called the Night the Dynastic Hero, and everything is bug themed all of a sudden. Like instead of just wearing generic medieval armor, the main kid wears a beetle suit. Also, if you talked about the PC Engine, uh, the first Adventure Island was supposed to be a port of of a uh, Wonder Boy as well. Um, but that series in Japan is called uh, Takahashi Meiji no Bokenjima. But Dragon's Trap was also put onto the PC Engine. And in the US, it was called Dragon's Trap. But in Japan, it was called Adventure Island, <laughs> which is confusing. And then there was also another Wonder Boy game on the PC Engine, but it was based off of like some anime called uh, Bakuri Man World. So at least four different... Uh, I'm trying to think if there's another one. I, I know how to count to four. Um, the, at least four different ones on the one system there. I can't remember if there were more than that or not. And the NES stuff got really, really, really fucked up because eventually one of the ports, in addition to the Adventure Island lineage happening, I for- there, one of the ports, I forget the exact game, got turned into a game about, naturally, Journey to the West, because you go long enough and everything becomes Journey to the West in 80s Japanese media. And then, that got a sequel, which I believe in Japan was Journey to the West themed, but they decided that wasn't gonna fly in America, so they decided to make the game, um, Wampum, the American title of it, where you play a little Native American boy, and it is very, very problematic. And that's not even getting into the Adventure Island games, which for the most part are side-scrolling action, just generic side-scrolling action platformers. Until we get to Super Adventure Island 2, which is a fucking Wonder Boy clone. Kind of off topic, but if you ever get the chance to play Wampum 2, I would recommend it. It's It's a very nice Mega Man clone. 
anyway, back to back to Adventure Island or Wonder Boy. Whatever game we're talking about, we're talking about it. This is a specific subject that I just like explaining a lot, which is just how incredibly convoluted this franchise is. And then it got a sequel. It got a sequel. Like, we got a whole new game called Monster Boy. It's called Monster Boy, but it's an official sequel. So long as it isn't Monster Girl. And it's made by French people. Is there a mom? Oh, it was made by French people then. Well, there are entire websites dedicated to Monster Girl. I bet there's more hits for Monster Girl than there are for Monster Boy. Uh, there are in my uh, parts of the internet. In your search history? That is specifically what I meant. Oh, also, you know what I found out recently? And I think this might be by the same developers, but there's a, a remake of Toki on the Switch. Who would ever want to remake Toki? It was bad, and you should feel bad. I'll have to double check, but I... I think it was by the uh, monster, by like the Dragon Trap developers. That's why I brought it up. Wait, but Toki he's going, going ape spit. spit? Oh, sorry. Go on. I'm just saying, like, uh, they needed to make Toki again because he was going ape spit and he just wasn't done. But yeah, uh, the, okay. So I read one factoid specifically about this game. It is sourced from Giant Bomb, so I do not know if this is accurate or not. Supposedly. This game was originally supposed to give you the choice between a boy and a girl, and then they decided to save money, and they liked the idea of having the girl be a protagonist. So SJWs apparently got a hold of the series, even all the way back in the 90s. Truly, we live in a fallen world. A young Anita Sarkeesian leaves her elementary school class, travels to Japan, and uh, holds all of Sega at gunpoint and says, make a game that appeals to my SJW sensibilities or else. She found the gun. She found the gun in Japan using her America senses. And uh, she sniffed it out. And she actually killed two members of the development team before they bowed to her SJW will, her social justice will. Uh, I believe those were actually the two staff members who died during the development of Panzer Dragoon Saga. Oh, yeah. That that happened, by the way. Uh, people who are listening, that, look it up. Two two members of the development team died during development of Panzer Dragoon Saga. Uh, it is believed... It, I don't believe the cause of death was ever re- revealed, but it's believed to be uh, death from exhaustion and overwork. That's a story for the Panzer Dragoon episode of this, which I'm actually pretty sure will happen someday. That's a secret that there's going to be non-Sega Genesis games. People listening to this podcast, don't tell anyone. You're not allowed to know that yet, which is why I told everyone that. I'm very good at my job. Okay, that's kind of what I had. I tried to find more stuff. I really did hit the books on this one. I feel like there's probably... I mean, that is a lot of stuff. You found a lot I mean, it's just the the hilarious trivia of how many games the Wonder Boy series are that aren't Wonder Boy, and then how those series further spidered outwards into different things. And I do have a sad confession. While I like the aesthetics of this game so, so very much, I kind of think Super Adventure Island 2 is a little bit of a better game. I'm sorry. That's how I feel. Looks like you're canceled. I'm really canceled for that. I want Super Adventure Island 2 to have all the graphics of this game. Then it would be, like, almost my perfect 16-bit game. Also, I know this is a Sega Genesis podcast, but people really should play Super Adventure Island 2. I was very pleasantly surprised by it. 
It is a very good Wonder Boy clone, despite having, as far as I know, no staff in common with Wonder Boy. And for it just being randomly Hudson stuff going, hey, you know those Wonder Boy games just made everything medieval and then made it like an exploration adventure RPG. We could just do that too. Uh, just play all of them. They're all yeah, they're short. They're all like, good. Yeah. You, you, will, you will not die before you finish every game in that series. Monster Monster World 3 is really, really good. Both of them. I like both Monster World 3s. Also kind of underrated on the um, the Master System version. I kind of like. Oh, did we point out how um, some of the other Monster World games were uh, changed up in Brazil to match oh. up with a popular media? Like, I think it's a comic series down there. I'm not yeah, or for ca- sure. Or a cartoon, because everything... Brazilian Sega stuff is just this fascinating microcosm that continues to this day. Yeah, so a bunch of Monster World games were edited, had like sprite hacks officially done, uh, replaced like the characters from the series, and kind of going full circle, the remake of Dragon's Trap uh, had a mod where all of the characters were replaced by the uh, Monica characters as well. Yeah, like an official thing that they released in stores with Sega's blessing. Like, I don't know what it is about the Wonder Boy series that that created this. Like, is it just Westone's unusual position in the world? I can't think of any other series except me. No, it only happened with, like, once or twice with Elevator Action, and there's only, like, five of those games. Like, stuff gets rebranded, but nothing gets rebranded like Wonder Boy. And... The fact that it had multiple spin, like rebranded spinoffs that got continued into sequels, one of which that became an equally long-running series, is so strange. It's so strange. And I think we found our way out of the labyrinth, everybody. Wait, wait, wait. I just figured out why it's Monster World 4. The original title of Wonder Boy and Monster World is Wonder Boy 5 Monster World 3. Yes, but there is only one game called Monster World before that. Yes, uh, I have no idea how uh, Monster World 3 got that title, but it seems pretty clear that they just went all uh, Call of Duty, Modern for- Warfare, uh, Black Ops here with uh, how the subtitles gradually become the real titles. Or like uh, Jedi Academy, Jet. It's Dark Forces. Let me. How does it go? I think it's Dark Forces Four, Jedi Knight Three, Jedi Outcast Two, Jedi Academy. Yep, that sounds about right. The official game of the movie. Yeah, maybe featuring Dante from the Devil May Cry series. (laughs) I can't wait to play featuring Dante from the Devil May Cry series five. Maybe they just like retconned one of the earlier games that wasn't canon, and they just kind of threw it into Monster World and didn't tell anybody. Yeah, I I think they're just I think they're counting Monster Land as the first Monster World game, which is like the actual. It's the actual answer. It's you know it, that makes sense, but it's not as funny, and it is still weird the numbering scheme. Wait, is. Wonder Boy and Monsterland related at all to Mayhem and Monsterland? Mayhem and Monsterland? You know, the classic Commodore 64 game, Mayhem and Monsterland. 
It's about a dinosaur in Monsterland. Huh. I think Monsterland just got a com- a regular Commodore 64 port. I think maybe Mayhem in Monsterland is just a coincidental title, but who cares? It's now part of the canon. <laughs> the most convoluted series in gaming history continues. There's, like, Time Wizards who go back in time and add more installments to the Wonder Boy series every time I look look this up. Hold on, I've never heard of this game. I'm looking up the Wikipedia thing here. Mayhem in Monsterland is a 1993 platform game for the Commodore 64. Its titular hero, Mayhem, is a yellow triceratops blessed with the gift of speed. His goal is to return his world from sad to happy, ridding the world of monsters along the way. That sounds like shit, and a ripoff of Sonic the Hedgehog. No, it's way fucking better than Sonic. Mayhem in Monsterland's a masterpiece. <laughs> it's the most Commodore 64 game possible, but no, really, it's one of the best platformers on the Commodore 64. Like, not as a joke. When are they going to port it to something good? Uh, it was released on the European Virtual Console on the Wii, so... Okay, but when are they going to release it on something good? It got a phone, por- a phone sequel. <laughs> oh god okay okay we we've gone we've found a whole different labyrinth now so let's let's step step our way back follow that ball string back at a labyrinth i think now so we can all wrap up with some nice death eggs in the death egg zone So, here in the Death Egg Zone, we all give our Death Eggs, which is the totally normal word for our final overall thoughts on the game. This one's going to be special, because we here aren't even going to hear all of it, because I'm going to edit some others in later. But for now, it's just us. And uh, the way this works is that we have a standardized metric. And that standardized metric is how many adorable blue... Pepilogus, out of seven, do we rate this game? After you give us that, you tell us your final thoughts. Just say whatever you want for a bit. Oh no, I should, I think I probably shouldn't have said that. Whatever you want about the game, your final thoughts on the game, give that. So let's, let's get this ball rolling. Oh, this game gets five extremely fat uh, Pepilogus out of seven. Uh, It's extremely charming and cute. And mechanically can't frustrate me because my original uh, second generation, a Sega Genesis console, NTSC region, of course, because it is a Genesis, not a Mega Drive, uh, has a uh, the original uh, rewind function still intact. So, you know, the little bit of slipperiness, it just can't get in the way. Uh, the It's fine. It's great. You know, you can complain. Fat bird, uh, dizzy pig. Uh, cultural puree, um, death to all monarchs everywhere, um, equal death for all monarchs. They shall die by their own evil creation. Oh, I found it. Sorry, the last, uh, last bit of the labyrinth. Wonder Boy in Monsterland was, uh, released as Super Wonder Boy Monster World on the Sega Mark III in Japan. Shit, that's a mi- we solved it. The mystery was solved. Holy shit. 
So there are indeed four Monster World games. Holy shit. I'm actually floored by this. Because I, I did not dig that up. Like, I, I looked for this. I've heard other people look for this who didn't find that. Wow. That, that's awesome. Mystery solved. There are four Monster World games. Anyway, I think Ramona's up. Yeah, I give it eight Pepalugos and one Pepalugo egg out of ten. Yeah, that's a good score. Uh, it's a cutesy game for girls that is both enjoyable and exceptionally infuriating to play, which means that you should definitely do so. I give this game three Pepalogos out of five eggs or whatever, uh, but all of my Pepalogos are blue because uh, they're very friendly and charming. I don't particularly care for the mouthfeel of this game, but it has such a lovely color. I'd give this five blue Pepalogos and half of one of the demon ones, just because like this game really wasn't perfect. It got incredibly frustrating at times, but for what it was, for being gorgeous, having decent moves, uh, I really enjoyed it this uh, second time through. Well, first time beating it, second time playing it, and yeah. I'm gonna give it four door blue Pepalogus out of seven. That's a little bit of a tilt there. I feel very biased towards liking this game. A, because it's a game where you can play as a girl, and I really like that. She's very cute. She's got a little Pepalogu with her, the little blue guy, and that's real cute. And I really like how the game builds an idea of a relationship with them mechanically. I think that's really clever. And I think that this game has a lot of moments that feel really clever and i kind of feel like a lot of the people developing the game sat down and they came up with a list of cool little ideas and they put together all those cool little ideas in the game but unfortunately just kind of not phoned it in exactly but just did like the most obvious basic thing for the rest of it. and it's a very up and down but ultimately i think especially now with the commonality of sega genesis genesis says Mega drives. That's an easier plural. With rewind buttons, like I know you have somewhere in there. It, it's a nice little experience to have. Because with save states and rewinds, a lot of the pain in the ass parts of this game get a lot easier. And it's just a nice little aesthetic object. It's a very good aesthetic object. I just wish there's a little bit more to it, you know? Call me Anachronistic Tiger, because I'm recording this after all of the other podcast recording. Here to bring you a very, very special Death Egg from Snexploration Squad's very own Vassalcania. Take it away, Cania. Hello, Book of Mega Drivers. Uh, this is uh, Vassalcania. I really wanted to be on this podcast, but... Unfortunately, I didn't get to play the game enough, and then right when the podcast was recording, I had an emergency, so you know how it goes. But here I am anyway on this podcast. Um, just a really quick couple of things I want to say about the game. Um, I played about 45 minutes of it, and my biggest takeaway is that the little animation she does when she opens a treasure chest and wiggles her butt around is very cute. Uh, the game seemed really cute, and uh, I sucked at it and died about 3 million times in the tutorial tower alone. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to listen to this podcast, uh, and I just want to say thanks to Automatic Tiger for putting this together. I think it's 
really cool and an extremely awesome addition to the snack exploration feed um and yeah it's just it's great i love it and it, it has a different tone than what uh, we usually put together for the SNES side, and I think it's awesome. So anyway, I really hope to be on the next one. I'm really excited to actually <laughs> be on this podcast that's on this feed. Uh, but yeah, until next time, uh, thanks for uh, throwing this in somewhere, Tiger. Monster World is a neat game, and it's very pretty, and I like the music. And oh, also, I give this game six adorable chubby blue papelagos out of seven adorable chubby blue papelagos is i don't know how i don't know that's how you say that i hope that's how you say that the end bye thank you so much for the kind words vasilcania stay tuned after the podcast for one more very special feature but first let's wrap things up So that's our those are our death eggs that that we we have. Hopefully they will hatch into very cute death papalogus. Did he talk about the Bikurimon world in the Labyrinth Zone? I, I, I immediately forgot whether or not you did. No, I didn't. That's the that's the bread man, right? I did. I talked okay, about yeah, the bread man. Okay. Got it. It's I, yeah. I can't believe a fucking chocolate bar tie-in uh has such a major relevance to this series i it's wonder boy if you told me there was like a game that they ported to the fm towns marty based on like i don't know like a toilet training product i would probably believe it with this series you know like there's just always more of it. There's probably something only really ported to like the the laser vision that we haven't even heard of because we it was lost. Like there's just always more Wonder Boy whenever I look. That was the Book of Mega Drive podcast. I am your host, Automatic Tigress. The Book of Mega Drive podcast is a Snexploration Gaiden podcast, which in turn is a select button Gaiden podcast. Selectbutton.net is a real cool video game forum where you can hang out and talk about video games. And you can find it at selectbutton.net. If you want to find out more about this podcast, there's a very regularly updated Twitter feed where we post new games to vote on, which I'll get to what we're voting on in a minute here at book of mega drive you can also email us at book of mega drive at gmail.com and you can find me automatic tiger on uh, twitter as at automatic tiger and on the select button forums under that name too that's pretty cool right hey everyone if you want to be found on the internet how can people find you or not find you this cat climbed on my chest so I'm far away for the night from the mic and I'm yelling. I'm Shrug. I'm Shrug on the forums. I'm at Shrugopolis on Twitter. More specious connections made to things there. Maybe. I don't know. I don't actually tweet that much. Uh, but there are occasionally Fletcher Hanks comics. He was quite a mind. Uh, you can find... Um, goodbye, cat. You can find occasional tabletop games at shrug.h.io. They have pretty good titles, at least. 
and I may not be good at rules, but I'm a better writer than your favorite games writer on a sentence-by-sentence level. I've decided to get an ego now. I have a huge ego. It's huge. I'd take you over Monty Cook any day of the week. I'm on the Rangers allowed as a dwarf. Fermenting Tulpa. And I guess that's it. Thank you. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Ramana. You can find me at my website, LonelyFrontier.net. Find me on Twitter at LonelyFrontier. Gotta keep it on brand. Uh, I do artwork. I am working on video games. And I do game streams every Friday night, very late, for all you night owls and perverts out there. I am I am Tulpa. You can find me on Twitter as Memorius Tulpa. You can find me on itch.io as Memorius Tulpa. I also have occasional tabletop games released on there. Uh, I only have two right now. I haven't made one in a while, but they're both very good. They have good rules, even if on a sentence-by-sentence basis, they are not as good as a shrudge game. And you can find me being the dungeon master on No Rangers Allowed's Tormenting Shrug. I'm Stavekoff. You don't want to find me. You don't want to know where I live. I've been wearing a tinfoil hat for the past three years of my life. So, one of the reasons you'd want to check out at Book of Mega Drive on Twitter is because that's where we're doing our voting for new games now. The next three games we're voting on for, I got them prepared this time. You ready for this? You're not ready for this. The three games that you, the listeners, vote on uh, are going to be Taz in Escape from Mars. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> Fuck, no. 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 Devil. We got two more to get through. I don't care. Somehow, <laughs> somehow, somehow Arrow the Acrobat again. I remember the 90s. I cannot Arrow the Acrobat the 90s, too. Except for the son of a bitch named Taz. I hate him. So we've got Bob's vote figured out, is what I'm hearing here. Um, we've got Devilish, the next possession, a.k.a. Bad Omen. Ha, hot. That game's okay. And Death Duel. Uh, I can't remember that one. Yeah, I'm That'll real, be new. I, I'm real blank on all of these. Like, I haven't... I have no horse in this race. Like, really. Anyone want to jostle for, like, what these games are? Like, I have no idea what they are. I'm the Google. The original Devilish was released for Game Gear. Devilish, the next possession is the sequel. Yeah, if I remember right, Devilish is like a... Like a medieval-themed Darknoid clown? Which, it's unique. Taz is a shitty platformer. And Death Duel is something else. Probably like a either a shooter or a fighting game. Because it's the Genesis. Yeah, I mean, the general rule is if you don't know what something is on the Genesis, it's a shooter. Yeah, Devilish the Next Possession is a super weird-looking breakout clone? Death Duel is a first-person perspective scrolling shooter that looks fucking weird. Kind of it. Oh, it's by Razor Soft. So this was probably on the Amiga first. Yes. Uh, this certainly is a weird horned lizard creature that's had huge chunks blown off its body. The cover art for Death Duel I would have as a poster in my apartment. Uh, I just looked at a screenshot, and there's a woman in this game with very, very prominent nipples poking out from her shirt. So this is going to be a, a, 
unique spicy video game. I see this nipple woman. She's in front of a what appears to be an arachnid. No, it's a scorpion. It's a robot scorpion with like missile launcher hands. And she's saying, is that a laser in your pocket or are you just glad to see me? There's something that really screams like this is a random pile of Sega Genesis games, even more than previous draws have given us. Wait, which one's the Amiga game? I'm voting for that. Death Duel. It's not an Amiga game. Well, how are you going to vote this time, then? I know, Taz, then. If if Taz wins the vote, I'm going to sabotage the podcast by spending the entire time talking about the retired pro wrestler Taz. And we still don't have an outro for the cast. Keep mega-driving, mega-faithful. Every hero has a genesis. So closes another chapter of the Book of Mega Drive. I have access to a lot of liturgy. How comfortable are you? How comfortable are you with Latin? Lorem ipsum sonic sitomet. Not every book needs to be read. May 16 bits be with you, and also with you. I learned Pig Latin when I was like seven years old. Does that count? Yes. Alright, is gay is gay. Don't worry, we still have the plastic clamshell cases. Hello, Mega Faithful. Not Bob could not be here for this recording. However, he entrusted me with a document containing his thoughts about the game in lieu of appearing on the podcast. He told me to do with them what I will, and what I will do with them is give them to Shrug for a dramatic reading. So, without further ado, here is Shrug. Hi, it's Shrug. Uh, the following is a reading from the works of Not Bob. My reading it aloud for posterity does not constitute an endorsement of its contents or ideas or any other contents or ideas that Not Bob has ever unleashed upon this planet Earth. Not Bob tried to get me to watch The Hitman's Bodyguard multiple times. Need I say more about Not Bob? I quote. Monster World 4 is a game that really wants to let you know how clever it is, but it keeps trying to interject, occasionally slapping you in the face between funny anecdotes. It sometimes becomes that guy, barging into a conversation and trying to make you pay attention to his every word. The focus seems to be on tight puzzle platforming, but the designers 
can't help but shove combat in every so often because that's what these games do. This isn't to say that the game is a confused mess, rather it suffers from an infatuation with combat that can be described as mediocre at best. The game shines brightest when tasking you with navigating the dungeons and figuring out the puzzles they are built around, except for the Ice Pyramid dungeons, which are tedious and bad and you shouldn't rely on a trial and error puzzle like filling in the blanks in a password as gameplay. What little platforming there is, which gains a renewed focus in the Sky Dungeon, hits that right level of difficulty where you can intuit very easily what the game is asking for with a quick overview of the pieces placed in front of you. Asha controls exactly as well as she needs to for the player to get through every challenge, from slow walks and blocking to dashing and generous jumping, height and control. Again, the one constant flaw running throughout the game is the combat. Despite being equipped with just enough moves to conquer any encounter, the fighting is clunky. Enemies are more often than not a simple affair of hitting, blocking, and then hitting again after their turn is done. Boss fights are messy, feeling more like you're smashing action figures together, and the game decides you've done enough clashes than any kind of real fight. It's telling how poorly the designers place their priorities when the final run-up to the end is not a gauntlet of clever puzzles or interesting platforming, but just a bunch of enemies and mini-bosses that have to be cleared to proceed. A quick sampling of Wonder Boy and Monster World, Monster Land, or the Dragon's Trap reveals that no, combat has never been in the strong suit and has not really evolved in the seven years between the first adventure RPG hybrid of the arcade Monster Land and MW4. So, making that the very last thing you experience in the game is disheartening to say the least. <sighs> it is lucky for the game that every other facet exudes charm. Sweaty facets. Graphics are bright and have a strong design identity, creating a vaguely Arabian Nights-esque landscape that still ties into the rest of the series. Despite having a somewhat flat appearance, sprites and backgrounds pop not with depth, but with life and detail. Asha and her buddy are animated with a huge amount of care and exhibit little things that make them more fully realized characters like Asha's somewhat feminine run, betraying her adventurous spirit and giving hints at how she was raised, how she was raised, or the exciting butt wiggle she performs when digging into a treasure chest. I got sentenced to work. I'm not here to be a copy editor. Um, I'm not re-recording, so that's just how it's gonna be. The dungeons feel alive each getting very unique tile sets and creating natural navigation paths, the soundtrack receives much of the same love, basing itself around a single motif and mixing it up, appealing to the aesthetics to the dungeon and with the Sky Dungeon being a standout, high-tempo song fitting with heavy emphasis on platforming and navigation over puzzle solving. The story is there. Other notes. Democracy Still Doesn't Work, Sword of Sodon, should have been the game we're talking about. I consider this document proof of my participation, and by reading this you've entered into a contract wherein I have participation and am therefore eligible for picking the next game. If the chips fall that way, also that that game is Soul Fighter on the Dreamcast. If this ends up happening, let everyone know that I love them and that's why I must hurt them. I'm never going to watch the Hitman's Bodyguard. <laughs> 